This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Let's start with the trade yesterday. Not earth-shattering, but interesting. As the Kings and Oilers hook up, UC Jokinen goes to Los Angeles. And Mike Camilleri continues his tour around the National Hockey League as he ends up in Edmonton. And this makes a lot of sense. I was talking to the Oiler guys when they were over at the Garden on Saturday. And this is a team that doesn't have any cap space, so it's very difficult for them to make any kind of maneuvers. And they make a deal pretty much one for one, and money-wise, they actually picked up a hundred grand for the cap. That's negligible, but it's that even split, so they're able to acquire somebody without it really affecting their cap. So they're not in a position to trade picks or minor league players for for uh, roster players because they just don't have the cap space. So this this ended up working very well. Camilleri, 35 years old. He's a center, but he's going to play wing in Edmonton. We discussed it when we analyzed Edmonton uh, back on uh, Monday that they are just not good enough on the wing. They're just or I should say they don't fit on the wing with the rest of their team. Their centers are quick, their wingers are a little slower. There's a team that wants to play a fast paced game. Cavalieri can do that. You can stick him on the wing with Saddle and McDavid. You can put him on the power play. He's got a nose for the net. He just fits the Edmonton Oilers. Jokin really didn't. He more fits the Los Angeles Kings. He's a guy that can play the style that the Kings play that's not as predicated on speed the way that Edmonton's game is. And whenever you acquire UC Jokinen, in the back of every general manager's mind, they're thinking about what this guy can do in the shootout. I'm telling you, he may not be the money he was when the shootout first started, but he's still very good. And I'm sure the Kings filed that away and said, he fits our system. And with points being so important, we can stick him in there and maybe he can win us a couple of games in the shootout. So I think that's a good deal for both teams. So we saw our first real significant significant trade of the year and I thought that was a good one uh, for both teams and what does Edmonton do they uh, they pot eight goals against Vegas uh, in their eight to two victory so Edmonton trying to turn it around they had a pretty productive East Coast swing beat the Islanders and Devils in overtime they lose to the Rangers but they come back and they get a point against Washington so you know they get five points out of the games there and then they come right home and beat up on Vegas and same old story for Vegas right I mean they just need to get their goaltenders healthy the combination of Legacy and Ferguson last night betrayed them especially legacy and Edmonton uh, goes off with eight goals Ryan Nugent Hopkins gets a couple of goals so Edmonton may be starting to turn it around Uh, Vegas trying to survive and it's very difficult to analyze them until they start getting their goaltenders back since we're focusing on the later games good win for Vancouver over the Los Angeles Kings who have now dropped three consecutive games Uh, Sven Berchi gets the game-winning goal in the third period and the Vancouver Canucks hang on from there Nilsson was really good in goal for Vancouver as they were starting to come back down earth but that's a nice road win for the Canucks We've been talking about them here on Game Misconduct, and they deserve a tip of the cap. Winnipeg continues to win. Yes, they beat Arizona. Yeah, they swept Arizona in a home-and-home, and and Arizona continued to struggle with only two wins. Uh, But Winnipeg getting production from other players, not named Line A and Shifley. Uh, Cop gets a goal. Um, Little gets his second of the year. Lowry uh, buckets uh, a goal, his second of the season. So they're spreading the offense out there in Winnipeg, and that's a really good story in a very wide-open central division. Minnesota, it's the Dubnik show. It's amazing how we analyze in what I think is not necessarily a goaltender's league. I think it's about what's up front. 
You need good goaltending, but you don't necessarily need a star. There's very few teams that are driven by who's between the pipes, and Minnesota seems to be that team. Dubnik gets his third consecutive shutout. Blank of Philadelphia team right now that's kind of just playing at 500 hockey. 30 saves for Dubnik. So all the talk about Minnesota and what's going on in goal and all these fluky goals, it's starting. The worm's beginning to turn there in Minnesota, and Dubnik is a major reason why, as he was a major reason why they made the playoffs last year. What's going on with the Washington Capitals? I got to get somebody on about the Caps because uh, you know this is kind of like last year where they were kind of flying under the radar. But you know, in, in I know the Metropolitan Division is wide open, and certainly a couple of games here and there, and they can be right back in the thick of things. But it's just interesting now as we're getting to this quarter pole of the season that this Washington Capitals team just cannot seem to gain. As much traction as you like. Very average at 10, 8, and 1. They're a playoff team right now, but they played 19 games. And I think that's significant when you're analyzing the Metropolitan Division and the East. So they're the first wild card right now. If the season were to end today, Washington would play, um, would be the one of the wild card teams with the Islanders, right? But they played 19 games. So they got 21 points. All right. The only team that's played more games than then Pittsburgh, we'll get to them in a second. You know, Columbus is ahead of them with 19 games played. You know, the Devils right now are three points ahead, but with two games in hand. Uh, the Ottawa Senators, again, not in the conversation for the wild card, but just Eastern Conference teams that may be in the conversation for the wild card, have the same amount of points as Washington, but with three games in hand. Um, Tampa has got a game in hand on them. Same amount of games played as Toronto with three less points. So it's not the end of the world for Washington, but they should just be playing better. And last night, Holpe didn't have it in Nashville. I'm telling you, these, this Predators team, I, I mentioned it yesterday, that that's a, that's a sleeping giant. Uh, they're still, I think, every bit as good as they were late, last year. So she gets a couple of goals for Washington, but Nashville spreads it out again. Ekholm gets a goal, Solomaki gets a goal, um, Forsberg. So they just spread it out with six different goal scorers, including Nick Bonino, who's got his second of the year. Once he gets his legs, I think he's going to really help the Nashville Predators. Uh, tough one for Dallas uh, last night. Uh, they've got a three. They got a three-two lead going into third period against Florida. You know, playing in front of family and friends in Florida. Huberto gets a couple of goals. Uh, ben gets his 10th goal of the season. But Barkov's goal in the third period, and that came early stage of the third period, uh, tied the game up, and and they just couldn't get the equalizer. They go to the shootout, and Trocek ends up getting the game winner as Florida steals a point from Dallas, despite the fact that Dallas had a lead going into the third period. Pittsburgh with a 5-4 win over Buffalo. Pittsburgh plays with fire all the time, don't they? Uh, this is a team that just they're losing, they're losing, they get a late goal, they win the game in overtime of the shootout. That would worry me about the Penguins because, obviously, in the playoffs, you're not going to have three-on-three overtime. You're not going to have a shootout. <clears throat> now, I'll put Pittsburgh up against anybody. They won back-to-back Stanley Cups. But watching them, that they just play with fire too much. And, and last night was a perfect example. They're getting outplayed by the Buffalo Sabres. All right? Kane gets his 10th of the year. Reinhardt gets a goal. So it's 2 nothing early. Hornquist makes it 2-1. Eichel comes up with his fifth in the second period. Then Sheary scores. Crosby scores his first goal after going 11 games without a goal. So that nightmare is over. You know, Pouliot 
comes back with a tally, but then Kessel gets the goal late in overtime, late in the third period, and then Sherry wins the game in overtime. They play with fire way too much. No offense to the Buffalo Sabres, but when you're home against the Sabres, you shouldn't have to go to overtime to beat them, but it just seems like Pittsburgh, they don't play a full 60-minute game, but when they can turn it on, they're as good as any team in the league, so they're getting their points, but just keep an eye on them. I always get leery about teams that win late, win in overtime, eventually that well runs dry, so in, in, in what is a very competitive metropolitan division in which Pittsburgh's right in the thick of things. If that worm was to turn on them, that may be a bit of a different story. Excellent game in Montreal between the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Canadiens, two teams struggling to score goals, and this was the Bobrovsky show. If Sergei Bobrovsky can apply his Vesna-caliber goaltending in the regular season to the postseason, Columbus is going to win a cup. They have the talent to do it. It just that whether it's Bobrovsky or whether it's his blue line in front of him in the whether it's just you know matching up with teams that they just don't seem to match up well last year it was Pittsburgh but God Bobrovsky was good last night he really I thought put on a tremendous show uh, Montreal had 29 shots on goal they didn't score a tally until Byron scored uh, in the third period <clears throat> midway through. That tied the game at one, but Wierenski gets the goal in overtime on a tremendous feed from Cam Atkinson. And once Atkinson gets going, this is going to be a really good team. He's been banged up. He hasn't played to the best of his ability. But there's a lot of young, talented players there, and Bobrovsky really brings it together. So I'm anxious. I'm going to be in Columbus on Friday to call the Rangers-Blue Jackets game. Uh, this will be the third time the Rangers have played the Blue Jackets. I've been in the building both times getting to know the Columbus Blue Jackets, and uh, I think that's a really good team. So if Bobrovsky can just bring that to the postseason, I think that they can be in the conversation as among the better teams uh, in the Eastern Conference. Let's hear from you at Don LaGreca. Hashtag game misconduct. Love the fact that we're getting uh, so much feedback from people and people wanting to ask questions, and I want to try to carve out as much time as possible to be able to do that. The Mount Rushmore thing seems to really get people talking. Jack says, where do guys from this generation fit into the Mount Rushmore? Well, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin have to be in the conversation um, of two of the best players in the league. I think Carlson has to be in the conversation when you go defense you look at goaltenders, uh, Henrik Lundqvist uh, has to fit in there. Uh, you can't ignore Jonathan Quick with his two Stanley Cup championships, so you probably err more on the side of teams that have hardware uh, as opposed to goaltenders like uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, who has not had that kind of success in the postseason. But do you, do you put a Murray there just because he's won a couple of cups? I'm not sure. It's an interesting conversation, but Sidney Crosby has to be in that conversation, right? But, boy, is it so wide open. You know, where does Steven Stamkos fit into the conversation? Um, when you look at uh, uh, a Drew Doughty, where does he fit into the conversation? It's so difficult when you talk about the players of today because it's so fluid, right, that, you know, Stamkos would, would have definitely been there a couple of years ago. And you're thinking about him here, but the last couple of years uh, he's been banged up. Um, Alexander Ovechkin has to be in the conversation. Even though he hasn't won a cup, he hasn't played in the conference final, he leads the league in goals. He's a special offensive player. you got a lot of young kids. You know, I need to see McDavid and Eichel a little bit longer. But uh, it's an interesting conversation. But if you're looking at the guys that play today, 
that have the pedigree, right? Like Henrik Lundqvist has, what, 412 wins. He's won Vesna trophies, so maybe he's your goaltender. He's getting towards the end of his career, but, you know, Crosby's numbers are as good as anybody that's ever played this game, so he's got to be there. Uh, Yevgeny Malkin, I think, has to be in the conversation. Where does Duncan Keith fit into the conversation? Where do Kane and Taves fit into the conversation? Where does Getzloff fit into the conversation? I mean, boy, you just blew my mind with that. Um, Mark says, when a line is humming, like the KZB line right now, but other lines aren't, do you favor just letting the line ride as is or breaking it up and dispensing players to try to provide balanced spark to other lines as AV has done in the past? I don't like to play that game. All right, now, if you have a one-line team and, and you're talking about, you know, the Zabanajad line is the only line that's producing, you know, and, and Bushnevich and, 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 and um, Kreider are buzzing, you can't put them on the ice all the time. But what you do, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? So if you take somebody off that top line that's clicking, put them on another line, there's two things at work here. You've now lessened the line that's been working for you and then hoping that there'll be chemistry with the new player that's on the other line. I look, I, I like it this better. Keep the lines intact, but then double shift players later on in the game when you need a goal. Like, for example, if Zabanajad's buzzing, will you keep him on the line with with Kreider and Bushnevich, but then maybe you play him with Nash in a big spot and, and you flip-flop centers because you think Zabanajad is hot and you do that a little bit later on in the game? Because I don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul. And I've seen it happen too many times, especially in the playoffs, where you break up lines that are clicking, and now you have four lines that aren't. And you lost the one line. So you can't put the best line on the ice for 30 minutes, but what you can do is maybe take aspects of that line and double shift them. It was a little easier to do that back in the day when your fourth line hardly played. But in the league now, where your fourth line is getting 12, 13 minutes a game, it, it makes it a little bit more difficult to do that. Um Soen, if I'm saying that correctly, says, Hi, Don. Fan of the podcast from uh, Belgium. Very nice. Do you think the Oilers should spread their talent more by putting Dreisaitl, McDavid, and Nugent Hopkins on different lines? How can they trade for um, – who can they trade for to speed up their wings? Well, I think that's what they did there with Camilleri. I think that's going to help. Um, and, and, again, they don't have a lot of cap space, almost none. That's why Patrick Maroon might end up leaving via free agency. Uh, Pooley Arvey, I think, has to has to move up. I think he's deserved the playing time. Maybe Camilleri goes there as well. I, I don't think Patrick Maroon fits on that line. I'm not sure Nugent Hopkins fits on that line either. Um, I think they can play together on the power play and have. Uh, but they have, they have some maneuverability there, and I think that they will. Uh, put that together. Michael says, how do uh, how good do you think Bushnevich will be? I think the sky's the limit for the kid. I really do. Uh, we've talked about this before on Game Misconduct. The back injury hurt him last year. He's got a great head on his shoulders. He's still very, very young, but give, give credit to the Rangers. They never rushed him up. Bushnevich was a name for the last couple of years you were hearing, and then finally he got a chance to play last year. Um, can this guy become a superstar as a winger? No, but is he a guy that can score 30, 35 goals in this league? I think that's that's definitely uh, what the Rangers have targeted him doing. Uh, Bruno says, shootouts in hockey are going to diminish the game like penalty kicks in soccer. Back in the day, you played till someone scored, even if the two goalies were 
the last two left to play. Hockey has unlimited subs. Soccer has three. Um, I'm with you. I don't like the shootout. I'm not, I don't know much about soccer. I can bring in Andrew Gunling to talk about the comparisons between the two. Um, I think it is just basically a glorified um, exhibition. It's a skills competition. And you could say, well, the three-on-three is bastardized as well. But to me, the three-on-three still is about skating. It's about passing. It's about defending. And you don't see any of that. It's just a goalie and and a, and a player trying to deke them. I mean, that's all that is. And I, and I don't think that should decide games. Uh, Jordan says, hey, Don, yesterday when I asked about flow, I meant hair. So who has the best hair in the NHL? Because great hair is an important part of hockey. Again, going with Eric Carlson. I'm sorry, Jordan. I'm 49 years old, so I didn't get the lingo. Uh, I was corrected a little bit later on in the podcast that it meant flow. Uh, let's see. Yager cut his hair. Brian Boyle cut his hair. Uh, it seems like everybody's got their hair. i got to take a look at it. It's not something I thought about. Carlson does have tremendous hair, and I like the fact that that flows. That's nice. Um, did Haglin cut his hair? I'm trying to remember last time I saw him. He seemed to have really nice hair. So I'm sorry the old man didn't know what flow meant. And Jordan also says, uh, even as a Hawks fan, if you couldn't tell, he's my favorite player. I think he's better at what he does than anyone else at what they do. Talking about Eric Carlson, yeah, I am a big fan for sure. Um, Jack, uh, Jake says, hey, Don, who do you think has the best shot in the game? Well, if you're talking about accuracy or if you're talking about speed and heaviness. I mean, Shea Weber's got an amazing shot. Zidane Chara late in his career has an amazing howitzer of a shot. There's a, there's a couple of guys that just can really blast it. I think uh, Burns has a tremendous shot. Maybe not as heavy as Shea, but definitely has an accurate, uh, very accurate shot. Uh, Subban has a quick shot, although I don't think it's overly accurate. So if you're talking about from the point, um, I don't know who really has... I mean, obviously, Ovechkin's got a tremendous shot. Crosby's got a good shot as well. I think uh, Carlson, who we were just talking about, has got a very underrated shot. So that was a good question just off the top of my head. Those are the ones that jump to mind. Um, Sam Diaz says, lightning trade for uh, goalie Deming. If they're smart, they'll ship him straight to Syracuse to work on his game. Any idea why the trade was made? That's, <laughs> that's a good question. We didn't mention the trade yesterday. Uh, I like Deming as a goaltender, but you're right. He, there's a lot of things that have to get worked on. Also, Sam says, I have a strong inkling that my wife is taking me to the Rangers game on November 24th for my birthday, and I think that's the first game. I think that's the Detroit game. If so, what are the chances of meeting uh, my favorite hockey guy? Of course, that would be you. I'll tell you what, Sam. Day of the game, let me know where you are, and I'll make an effort to get there. I'm calling that game, so my window of opportunity is a little less than when I'm doing the pre and post, but we'll try to hook up and get together because you're a good follower at a game misconduct. Robert says, I share your distaste for shootouts. Would you prefer just having a tie if no one scores in five-minute overtime? And how about keeping the three-on-three format for playoff overtime? Don't want to mess with playoffs. Playoffs are perfect. I'm not even going to bring that up. I never had a problem with ties. See, there's a couple of things at work here with the National Hockey League. There's this feeling of we've got to get the fringe fan, the non-fan, to like our sport. What's wrong with the sport? Whenever you ask somebody that doesn't follow hockey, what's wrong with the sport? Well, I can't follow it on TV. I can't pronounce the names. I don't like the fighting. I don't like the ties. All right? Well, you can't do anything about the names and 
Fox obviously tried to mess with the puck glowing, and everybody flipped out. But the latter two. Oh, well, people don't like hockey because there's too many fights, and there's um, too many ties. All right, so you eliminated fighting basically to the point where it's non-existent, and there's no more ties. Has it helped? Has that person that you talk to at work who says, I don't like hockey because they fight and because there's too many ties, are they watching the game now since there are no more ties and there's no more fighting? No. So why not just keep the people that love the sport engaged? And I never had a problem with a tie. Um, I've I, There's a guy, John Winthrop, who, who works, who's not a hockey fan, but he talks about it saying, I, I would rather lose than tie. Stupid. It's a point system. So the idea is to get points. So if I tie, if I a hard-fought game and both teams deserve to win but neither team caved in, I could walk out of that building happy with a point. I don't want to lose the game just to say that we had something decided. Now with the three-on-three and less shootouts, there's probably going to be a lot less ties. Well, fine. But I'm telling you, that clock zeroes out. You're disappointed you're going to the shootout. And then you know, you're, you're still getting the extra point. But if you win the shootout, but is that fair? Just just go with the stupid tie. I, I can't believe that people were that offended by the tie. Chris says, when shut out consecutive games against the same team and generating minimal chances as the Flyers were in uh, this an issue of coaching injuries, Patrick Nolan still out, relying too much on the top line, or maybe a combination of all of these. Um, Nolan Patrick being out, I mean, he's a kid. We don't know what his ceiling is. We don't know what he even is at this point. I can't say that it's because he's out. I don't think it's coaching. I mean, I I, I think Hackstall's a good coach. Um, I need to watch a little bit in order to find out what's going on. But I'll ask the same question that I ask Ranger fans when their team's not scoring. Who's supposed to score? Uh, who is on the team that is an absolute stud? Couturier? Uh, Giroux? Gostaspair? I mean, there's enough guys on that team that should be able to score, but are there? there's no 50 or 40 goal guys on there, and maybe they just become a little bit easy to defend. Not sure. I need to look a little bit more at Philadelphia, but you're right. Uh, goal depletion's been a problem there, and it's been a problem for some teams too. Montreal can't score. Um, Columbus is having some trouble scoring, although I think injury is the main reason there. So we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, MK says, Don, the Bruins are banged up right now. Looks like a Providence Bruins lineup right now. Do you think the season is lost? No, I don't think the season's lost. You'll get those guys back. I called the game last Wednesday. They had six rookies in the line. Six rookies. So think about how difficult that is for Cassidy. What do kids do? Kids make mistakes. I mean, McAvoy's 19 years old. Uh, O'Gara is a young kid. I mean, these are guys playing major minutes on the blue line that are kids. I mean, you can't lose a Krejci. You can't lose a Spooner. You can't lose a Bacchus. Marshawn's missed some games. I mean, that's a, those are some pretty significant players, and there's still 60-plus games left in the season to get some of those guys back. I don't think Bacchus is coming back anytime soon. Uh, Tilted Ice asks another one of these tough questions. Game 7, Stanley Cup Finals, you're coaching. You can travel back in time and get one goalie to put in the net for the game. Who are you putting in? Well, it's a different question than who's the best goaltender because there are certain money guys, all right? I always thought Billy Smith was a money guy. They can say, well, Don, look at his goal against average is like 3.89. How is he a money guy? 
You don't win four straight Stanley Cups without being a money goaltender. All right, you had to make it. You had to make a stop. I don't care if it's one nothing or five four. You got to make a stop. And Billy Smith made a stop. Same with Grant Fuhr at Edmonton. Those guys let up a lot of goals, but when you needed the save, you got it. Another guy that I love that was a money goaltender was Mike Richter. Mike Richter stole series. You know, there were times where the Rangers played in a series that they were not as good as the team that they played, and they won that series because of Mike Richter. And I can think back to 97 when the Devils were a better team than the Rangers were in that second-round series, and Richter stole the show. And he outplayed Brodeur, and the Devils ended up going out in the second round, and the Rangers ended up going to the conference final on the heels of what was tremendous money goaltending. So, hey, Patrick Waugh's money, right? I mean, you, you can't go wrong with Patrick Waugh. You can't go wrong with Marty Brodeur combined. They won seven Stanley Cups. But if you look deeper, Hashik, another guy, would do anything to make a save. And probably the biggest saves he ever made were, were not in the National Hockey League. The 98 uh, gold medal game for the Czech Republic in Nagano, where he had to stop you know, amazing players in the shootout um, to decide uh, who was going to win the gold medal in that game. And I remember the stick save he made on Eric Lindros in that game. So there's a lot of goaltenders I'd go back and pick, but just maybe just watching him so much, I, I just thought, like, Richter was money. There wasn't – and he got robbed. Listen, Mike Richter would have gotten a lot more accolades had he not suffered the knee injuries and the concussion. He probably would have won 100 more games, maybe would have been more of in a position uh, to win a few more Stanley Cups. And it was also a tough era. That was when the Rangers were in transition, and he was the goaltender for that. But I always thought that Mike Richter deserved a little bit more than he got because the injuries, I think, really hurt him. Uh, Jake says, hi, Don. Wow. Did Sergey put on a show last night in Montreal? Edmonton offense explodes with eight goals. Speaking of Edmonton, who do you think won the Camilleri-Okanen trade, L.A. or Edmonton? i got to take a knee on it for now because I'm going to see how it all works out, but I just have a feeling Camilleri is going to have more of an impact in Edmonton than Jokinen will have in Los Angeles. Uh, Marcelo says, Henrique scored one of the most memorable goals in recent Devils memory. Do you think New Jersey is going to consider trading him to get help on the blue line? I used this phrase earlier, robbing Peter to pay Paul. He's a center. Centers are difficult to come by. So forget about his history and, and the fact that he's what him and Green are the only two holdovers from the 2012 Stanley Cup final run. You get a defenseman, but now you're looking for a center. I mean, the Rangers are going through the same thing. I'll trade Brady Shea for a center. Well, now you're going to be looking for replacing Brady Shea, who they think that can be the next Ryan McDonough, maybe the captain of the team. So that's a, that's a tough proposition to make. I'd have to see who it is. You tell me you get Brett Burns. You tell me you get Drew Doughty. You tell me you get Eric Carlson. But those things aren't going to happen. Uh, Kevin says, who is the greatest team not to win the Cup? Wow. I get These are great questions I get. You know, not because RJ's running the board for me, but I always felt that Buffalo Sabre team in 2006 should have won the Cup. They were the best team in the league that year. And they got depleted on the blue line. They had like three legitimate defensemen playing for them in that game seven against Carolina. Campbell took the um, the penalty with the puck over the glass for the delay game, and it ended up costing them that game. And listen, I love Carolina. I love uh, Peter Laviolette. I covered that final series. That should have been the Buffalo Sabres beating the Edmonton Oilers, not the Carolina Hurricanes. So that team has to be considered. 
Uh, Washington, certainly, when you look how good they've been in the regular season, maybe if they could avoid Pittsburgh, maybe there's a couple of cups on their resume. Those teams were so good. The team is so good now, but you look at last year's team, how good they were. The year before, how good they were, how that team uh, should have won a Stanley Cup. Um, Those are two teams that that, that popped to mind for me. Um, You look back to that, uh, the 95 Red Wing team, or the '96 Red Wing team that broke the, the broke the record for points in a season, but still lost in the conference final to Colorado, and heart, how heartbreaking that was. You go back to the '93, '94, those two years, '92, '93, and '93, '94 Maple Leaf teams. Take a look at those teams with Anderchuk, who just got inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, Dougie Gilmore, Felix Potvin. I mean, how good those teams were, up and down, and losing in the conference final in '93 to Los Angeles and '94 to Van. Vancouver. They were better than the Kings. They were better than the Canucks. Those teams had an excellent chance to win a Stanley Cup. So off the top of my head, I'd have to say that uh, those are the uh, the teams that I thought were the best teams not to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, Zeef, if I'm saying that correctly, tweets, uh, who are your top five goaltenders right now? Well, quick, having a tremendous season, two-time Stanley Cup champion, um, he would be on my list, Sergei Bobrovsky, even though he has not had the same success in the postseason. I think he is an absolutely terrific goaltender. Uh, Price still has to be in the conversation. And we should mention, too, with Montreal, Price is still hurt. And they went out and they got uh, Antti Niemi because Montoya got hurt. So there's a lot of problems with the goaltending there in Montreal. Uh, but uh, he has to be put into the conversation as well. Um, is Henrik Lundqvist still one of the top five goaltenders. He certainly has to be in the conversation. He's been fairly uh, consistent. Who am I forgetting about here? Uh, you look out west. I think uh, Martin Jones is good, but I wouldn't say that he's in a he's a top five guy now. I mean, Dubnik has to be in the conversation, right? So he's one of Vesna. He's he's having a terrific bounce back season with three consecutive shutouts. He possibly can be put into conversation. Ryan Miller's getting older now. Gibson, I need to see more of. Just kind of flipping around the league. But those would be the goaltenders. If I'm forgetting somebody, I'm sure I'm going to get jumped on Twitter later on for it. And I don't want to sit here. And Holpe's got to be in the conversation, too. I mean, he's got a really good team in front of him. But, you know, he's got uh, he's tied for the record for most wins in a regular season a couple of years ago. So some of the goaltenders off the top of my head that I was uh, thinking about. Uh, Jeff says, I saw that the Avs are planning on trading the Hamburglar, Andrew Hammond, obviously, you're talking about sooner than later. What team might be looking for his services? Uh, right now he's in. He's playing in Binghamton with the Senators, but he's, uh, his contract still belongs to the Avalanche. Um, I mean, obviously, Arizona, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're struggling to find a goaltender there because of injury. That's a team that I think could use him. Um, when you look at uh, teams that are pretty much set at backup goaltender, but that's like the one team I say, boy, they could really use a shot in the arm of their goaltending. That's the major reason why. And, and heck, now maybe Montreal. I mean, I don't know how long Montoya and Price are going to be out, but the fact that they went out and got Niemi, a guy that's playing, we're 20 games into the season, Niemi's playing for his third team. So I'm not sure that is any kind of an answer. So maybe Montreal has to be in that conversation as well. Alex says, in regards to three-on-three overtime, I also think it should be extended 10 minutes total because only five minutes can get ruined when there are one or two power plays. All of a sudden, the excitement of a three-on-three is diminished. Ten minutes would give 
time three versus I, I, I that's a great point because I've thought sometimes when I don't have a dog in the fight and I'm just watching the game I get disappointed when there's a power play because now it's four on three it's not the true three on three and and two of the five minutes are already gone if nobody scores so I'm with you I, I would like to see 10 minutes the ice is certainly a concern and certain places, Edmonton's had problems with ice in their new building, and certainly when it gets, starts to get warmer, the Garden's had gardens been better since it's been refurbished, but obviously Brooklyn, tons of problems with that ice. So I, I get the ice being a concern, but I don't think it should be um, that much of a, uh, uh, of a concern. I'm sure it's something they can get worked around. Um, Remy says... If you only watch one period of hockey this year, make it the second period of Caps and Preds, unless you're a Caps fan. Are the Preds for real this year? They are. Once they get their act together and get over the hangover of going to the Stanley Cup Final, they'll be a competitor. I was flipping around last night to all the different games, and I was keeping an eye on that one, but... You know, you saw all those goals certainly in the second period. Uh, David Hines says, if you were given the opportunity to revive an NHL team that no longer exists, which team would you choose? The Quebec Nordiques, Hartford Whalers, Minnesota North Stars, Atlanta Thrashers, Colorado Rockies, or California Golden Seals? Well, considering that the Atlanta Thrashers and the California Golden Seals were completely complete failures, I would say no to those. Minnesota North Stars, you know, nice story, certainly. Uh, some really great players that played on their early career of Mike Madano and Dino Cicerelli and uh, and all that. But, um, you know, Minnesota Wild and doing well. So it really comes down to the Nordiques or the Whalers. And for me, selfishly, it's the Nordiques because I've been to Hartford. I went to Hartford games, but I've never gone to Quebec City. And I heard it is just an amazing city. And Hartford, and I know that there's a lot, there's a lot of people, a lot of people on Twitter that want the Whale, Whalers to come back. Hartford's problem is the same thing that's going on in Ottawa. It's the same thing that's happening in New Jersey. Other NHL franchises in close proximity. I mean, Hartford's right there wedged between the Boston Bruins and the New York Rangers, two original six franchises with huge followings. That, I think, hurts. Quebec, a natural rivalry with the Montreal Canadiens. Um, certainly, uh, there's a lot of hockey, uh, NHL in in a close proximity, but you're talking about it being Canada where it's less of a problem. But that that rivalry was so intense between the Nordiques and the Canadians, and I just think that that would be revived. It's further up north than the other franchises, so I think it would be fine. It's got a brand-new building there ready to be played in. It's got a tremendous history. I would love to see, without a doubt, the Quebec Nordiques being the team to return. And I think once the Canadian dollar stabilizes – I think there's an excellent chance that you are going to see a team go back to Quebec City, maybe a team currently moving there or expansion there as well. Dan Pitt says, uh, Don LaGreca, with um, doubt over Nuck's goaltending preseason, your thoughts on the tandem in goal to date? And he's well, he's listening from Melbourne, Australia. Very, very cool, Dan. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I didn't think Vancouver was going to be very good. Now, it's not just about the goaltending with Market and, and Nilsson that have made things work. I mean, you're getting tremendous production out of uh, Berchi. You're getting great production out of Dorset. Um, you, and you're really kind of doing it without the Sedin twins. But it's been a surprise. But certainly there looked to be a weakness in goal. And so far, that weakness has not reared its head just yet. Um, the big calzone says with Vegas doing so well this early, does that speed up the NHL expansion for team number 32? What are your favorite cities? Expansion's happening. And I've talked to Bill Daly about this. They, they don't want to stay with an odd number of teams for a long period of time. Seattle seems to be the destination, the Pacific Northwest, because if you, 
if you take a look at a map of North America, and, and you're just the United States in general, there's a huge gap of hockey in the top left corner in the Pacific Northwest. Now, you've got the Canucks in Vancouver, but that's Canada. From the United States, you go all the way down to San Jose before you get to an NHL team. Then if you were to move east, you don't have hockey until you get to Colorado. And then when you go back north, you don't have hockey until you get to Minnesota. So that whole Pacific Northwest is empty as far as the United States dollar is concerned, as far as the United States television ratings are concerned. So they love to be able to put a team in Seattle or Portland somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. And Seattle seems to have the inside track. Plus, it would make sense to have another Western team to to balance the two conferences out. So it seems like expansion is going to end up being in Seattle. And I think the Nordiques, the Quebec City, ends up getting uh, a team that moves. Now, whether that team is Florida, maybe if the Islanders can't figure out the situation in Brooklyn, although I don't want to see that happen, maybe there's threats that Carolina might move if uh, Carmonis sells the team, although those are just rumors. But I I think the best chance for the Nordique, the, the Quebec City, to get a team would be through a move. But it seems like the next expansion is going to come from uh, uh, Seattle or Portland, most likely Seattle. James says, hi, Don. Which original six team will win the Cup next? I think it will be Toronto, but hope it will be the Rangers. Keeping the Mount Rushmore theme going out of all of the NHL teams, who are the top four? Uh, Love your work with Rangers, TMKS. And he's also listening from Sydney, Australia. So it's amazing that we're getting so many people listening from around the world. So, that's pretty cool, man. That's I'm very happy for hockey that you guys are getting your fix from all over the world. Um, let's see, uh, each one in order here. Uh, the next original six team to win uh, a cup, yeah, Toronto, I think, is in the conversation. Although they have work to do, and the Blackhawks, let's let's not forget them. I know that they've kind of been average this year, but God, they're they're loaded with talent and. And they've won a Stanley Cup, the most recent of the original six teams. Montreal doesn't seem to be very close. Boston obviously going through their injuries, and they're they're transitioning right now. Uh, The Rangers' window is certainly starting to close. Detroit's in a little bit of a rebuild here. So, yeah, I think you're right on about that. Um, The top four teams in the history of the NHL, well, obviously it's going to be the Montreal Canadiens. If you go by number of cups, even though the the, the, the Leafs haven't won a cup since '67, I mean, I, I think Toronto's got to be there with the list of Hall of Famers and and the number of Stanley Cups that they've won in their history. So I would think it would be Montreal and uh, and Toronto would have to be too. Now, if you wanted to go with the other original six teams, certainly Detroit would have to be in the conversation there. And if you want to go with recent history, I guess it would be Chicago. Um, which is kind of the way – it's weird. When you look at the history of the National Hockey League, right, and before they had a draft, you used to draft regionally. That's how you picked up. So if you lived in Montreal, you played for the Canadians. If you lived in Toronto, you played for the Leafs. So it's kind of hard for the Rangers and the Bruins and the Blackhawks to be able to generate talent because a lot of people weren't playing hockey back in the original six era in the United States, so they couldn't take from their own. They had to go piece it together someplace else. But Detroit's so close to the border – where they were able to get people from Windsor. So that's why Detroit was always the one American team that had success in the original six era. So that's why it always seemed to be Montreal, 
uh, Toronto and Detroit that were kind of rotating the Stanley Cups. Blackhawks and Rangers were always a little bit far behind. And then Boston were able to muster some things, certainly after acquiring uh, Bobby Orr. So that could certainly be uh, where we could start with that conversation. Uh, And Jimmy O'Hara says, hey, Don, great show. Asked previously but never heard an answer, what's more valuable in hockey league, an elite center and elite goaltender? In my opinion, it's the center. Goalies can be streaky. Love the show. It, it, right now, I, I, would, I would put goalies third among the elite. I, I need an elite center. I need an elite defenseman before I need an elite goaltender. And, and there's no offense to Matt Murray. It's no offense to Anthony Niemi. It's no offense to Jonathan Quick. But are those goaltenders – you know, looked upon as the greatest of all time. Would you put them in the conversation with Marty Brodeur and Patrick Waugh and Dominic Hasek, guys that won, won Cups 20 years ago? No. It's about what's up front because the best goaltenders that everybody believes in the league are, are Price and Henrik Lundqvist, and neither of those guys have won a Stanley Cup. So, but great centers, great defensemen, they find their way. To win cups. Drew Doughty's won a cup. Brett Burns has been a Stanley Cup final, right? Eric Carlson's doing what he can here young in his career. Got them to the conference final last year on one leg. So, listen, I'm not saying you don't need a goaltender, but here's the way I put it all the time. You don't need a great goaltender. You need your goaltender to play great. But the centers and the defense, when you build up the middle, center, defense, goaltending, and that's the order that I do it. And that's one, that's two. And that's three. So ran out of time today. So if I didn't get to your tweets, because we got so many of them, and I, I wish I could just do it all day, but I've got so much else to do. But I'm always thinking about you guys. And if I didn't get to your tweets today, make sure you tweet me uh, tomorrow or the next day, and we'll try to get to them. Three games tonight. I'll be all over the Rangers and the Blackhawks tonight doing the pre and the post for that game. So I'm looking forward uh, to that. See that original six matchup. I'll be calling the game coming up on uh, Friday between the Rangers and the Blue Jackets. So thanks for participating. A lot of fun. At Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. If you want to get to me, comments, criticisms, questions, that's the way you do it. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow. This was the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. Thanks for listening to the Game Misconduct podcast. Looking for more Don LaGreca? Hear him on the Michael K. Show weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. on 98.7 ESPN in New York and worldwide on the ESPN app. And don't forget to subscribe to the Game Misconduct podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.